Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday morning, uh, after the early service, I got a rather unusual piece of feedback to my message for the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, when one of your fellow members came up to me and complained that the sermon was too short. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who that is, uh, but his initials are George Menina. <laughs> and so I want to begin by apologizing to all of you and promising you that from now on, my sermons will be much, much longer for which you have George Menina to thank. If you don't know who that is, I'll give you his contact information, although he may be in the witness protection program by the end of the day. Uh, conversely, I also remember preaching a sermon, and I don't know if it was during Advent, in my former congregation that was evidently so long that after the service that day, one of the ushers came up to me and uh, thanked me for, quote, two of the finest sermons I have ever heard. So you just never know. Uh, well, that brings me to my third uh, message for this Advent season, if you count uh, last Wednesday night, when uh, we hear the voice of an eminently more effective preacher who makes his annual Advent visit to us in the pages of the Gospel of Luke, and that, of course, is none other than John the Baptist, uh, who is, even after all these years, kind of a strange figure for us in these days uh, before Christmas. And so let me just kind of put this all in perspective and uh, place the ministry of John into a certain context by reminding you uh, that the Gospel of Luke begins in chapter 1, obviously, uh, with the birth of John and then also the birth of Jesus being foretold, followed by the visit of Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus to Elizabeth, her relative, who was pregnant with John the Baptist which tells you that not only were John and Jesus roughly the same age, but they were also in some way related to each other, although the exact nature of that relationship is not fully explained in the scriptures. At any rate, chapter 1 ends with the birth of John the Baptist, and then Luke chapter 2 begins, uh, as you know, with Luke's just magnificent description of the birth of Jesus which we look forward to hearing every year on Christmas Eve, followed by his presentation in the temple in Jerusalem. And then we come to Luke chapter 3, where we meet the now grown-up John the Baptist, calling people to prepare the way of the Lord because the public ministry of Jesus was about to get underway, although we have for hundreds of years picked up this passage and moved it back and placed it into the season of Advent, because not only is it a great message uh, for the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, but it's, you know, a fabulous message for the season of Advent in these days before Christmas. And so Luke chapter 3 begins with these six verses in which Luke, who is said to be uh, a physician by vocation and uh, therefore one who would uh, have been inclined to chart as many details as humanly possible, placing the ministry of John and therefore the ministry of Jesus into a very specific time frame in history. 
And that's where you get that long list where he talks about this happening in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. In other words, Tiberius Caesar, who was the Roman Empire, when Pontius Pilate was the prefector or governor in Judea, which was only about, you know, 10 or so years in, in duration. And Herod was the ruler in Galilee. Now that's Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, uh, who was around when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then Philip, who was the brother of Herod Antipas, was the ruler north and east of Galilee. You may be familiar or remember a place called Caesarea Philippi in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, that's the place that Philip, Herod's brother, named after himself after giving Caesar Augustus top billing, wisely so. So you get Caesarea Philippi. And then Lysanias who was in the area that we would call modern day Jordan and Annas and Caiaphas were the Jewish high priests in Jerusalem who we will meet later in connection with the arrest and the trial of Jesus. And all of this is a way for Luke to tell people then and to tell us now that this isn't you know, some sort of a fairy tale. This is not a made up story. This is something that happened to real people in real places under real circumstances in the context of world history. And what John the Baptist is, is uh, in many ways a link to the past as this last great prophet who plays the part of an Old Testament prophet by living in the wilderness and eating bugs and dressing, you know, strangely even for those times. Now, I could have skipped all of that background, but that would have shortened the sermon. <laughs> and you don't want that. But what it really tells you, more importantly, is that Jesus came into a world of unimaginable tension. Social tension, religious conflict, political upheaval, where the Pax Romana, which is the Latin or the Roman way of saying the peace of Rome was technically in effect, the hearts of people were everything but peaceful. And it's into that world that John raises his voice. And he tells people to prepare the way of the Lord because now the time of the prophets was over and the long-awaited Messiah was inbound and all flesh would see the salvation of God. So Luke goes on to tell us that uh, John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what, what's that all mean? Uh, your repentance, uh, as you know, is a word that has to do with uh, change. You know, it's, it's a little different than words like contrition or words like uh, remorse, where uh, you're, you feel bad for what you did or you feel sorry you got caught. Uh, but repentance uh, comes from the word metanoia, which is kind of like metamorphosis, which has to do with uh, a dramatic change, a turnaround in the course and the direction and the trajectory of your life. And what's interesting here is that prior to John's ministry, baptism was the rite of initiation for people who were non-Jews who converted to Judaism. But when John comes onto the scene, he declares that baptism is for everyone, including those who are already Jewish, because everybody needs to be forgiven. Everybody needs to be washed. Everybody in the whole world needs to be made clean. 
And to underscore his message, Luke borrows the voice of another great preacher, the great prophet Isaiah, who hundreds of years earlier called people to remember or to look forward to a voice that would be crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his pathways straight with the promise that every valley would be exalted and every mountain and hill made low and the crooked would be made straight and the rough places a plain and all flesh would see the salvation of God together. And in addition to being just beautiful, poetic words, they're also words that would have been easily understood by people in not only Isaiah's day, but also in uh, John's day. Because in those days, there were representatives of arriving monarchs and kings who would literally go into those places and prepare the way for the king's arrival. They would lead teams of workers that would literally, physically go out and improve the roads by filling up the holes, by smoothing out the rough places, by straightening out the tight curves so that the king could come to his people unencumbered. And what John is telling us to do is to do that, but to do it spiritually by clearing out whatever it is that gets in the way of the king's arrival in your life. And so John the Baptist is that representative. He is the advance man for Jesus Christ. With that little walk through uh, those first six verses of Luke chapter 3, you know, we come to some uh, questions that I think are good for us to ponder in this second week of Advent. Like for openers... What does the wilderness of which John speaks represent in your life today? What is the wilderness that you're living in as you think about your past or your present? Or about your shame or your sadness or your unmet dreams or your unfulfilled hopes? You know, what's the wilderness as you think about the world that we are living in right here, right now, today? And I don't know the answers that you would bring to those uh, questions, but I do know that there is a wilderness and that it is vast. What are the crooked motives or the impure thoughts and actions that are obstructing the presence of God in your life. And they, and they just need to get straightened out so that you don't have to pretend that this is a wonderful time of year and that know that in your heart things are everything but peaceful. I mean, what, what's the mountain of pride that needs to be leveled in my life and brought low and down to earth? What's the hole in your heart it needs to get filled up? And whose are the voices that you need to be listening to? What are the messages that you need to be open to in order to live the only kind of life that's really worth living? Those are big questions, and I think important ones for us to ponder during this Advent season. And they challenge me always, you know, to, to think about that, to take some stock of, of my life and my relationship with God. But I also have to confess to you that... Uh, 
in some ways they can also leave us feeling rather helpless, don't you think? Because don't we pray, don't we confess all the time that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves? And that begs a few more questions like, you know, how much repenting do I have to do? I mean, how much repenting can I do in order for Jesus to make his entrance into my life? Well, that's why I want to assure you in this second week of Advent uh, that these days of preparation aren't just about hearing this voice message from this great prophet and deciding that uh, you're going to try extra hard to be extra good and stay on the good list for just a little while longer until you know that eventually you're going to cave into something at some point after Christmas, if not before. Because what Advent really is, is a time to celebrate the coming of this long-awaited Savior who cuts through the obstacles to make his home in your heart and in your life forever. He comes into this world on a mission that would lead him to a cross where, get this, he does the repenting for you so that you can be baptized into his grace, into his truth, into his new life and his presence in your story, your history, your circumstance. And then respond to his presence and his grace by doing a little repenting of your own, by making the adjustments to remove the obstacles to the one who comes into this world to fill up your heart. And so in theology, we call that sanctification. And Advent is really both of those things, working in our hearts and in our lives together so that you and I will enjoy a Merry Christmas because it will be a blessed one. And that begs a few other questions like, how might you be a voice for somebody else in the wilderness of their life? What message might you draw upon or borrow from apostles and prophets or from the Lord himself who said, I'm the light of the world, but you're also the light of the world? And how might you and I together as his church be the representatives, the advanced men and women and girls and boys who bring by God's grace, this change in the course and the direction and the trajectory of all of life so that everything is new because the time has come and the long-awaited Messiah is now with us. Uh, within the last several days, uh, I've had uh, conversations with two individuals who come here to our church who, as far as I'm aware, don't even know each other. And each of those two individuals uh, have expressed to me in that conversation their reluctance to be here. I mean, right here. You know, at the Lord's table, at the Lord's supper. The reluctance in one case uh, has to do with a feeling of unworthiness. The reluctance in the other case has to do with a feeling of guilt. And as I listen to that, I will confess to you that I could feel my voice raising as I told them that that is precisely when you should come.
to receive the one who comes to us in grace, grace and truth, to baptize us into this new life that can be completely turned around when the king arrives and makes his home with you and me. And that is our mission. And that is the message of Advent for the year of our Lord 2021. And so, one more question. What does it mean when a pastor looks at his watch in the middle of a sermon? Answer, absolutely nothing. And so this concludes my somewhat longer sermon for the second week of Advent with a wish that God would bless your time of preparation, make you his advance man or woman or girl or boy, and celebrate with great joy the arrival of the King in your life so that you and I might enjoy together a merry and a blessed Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.